morning, everyone. I'm here with uh, Chris Keel, uh, PhD from um, Armada uh, Intelligence. Close, Armada Corporate Intelligence. There we it's, go. It just, just think of it as the oxymoron to go along with military intelligence. Um, they, they well, I knew you knew the name. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, Chris puts out the uh, uh, Credit Managers Index Report, which is done by the National Association of uh, Credit Management. It's a thrilling topic. Yes, um, it is. That, that's why you need a humorist like uh, <laughs> Dr. Keel. So, um, Chris, let's uh, take it away. What's going on? Very with good, very good. Management? Well, I'll do a little quick preface. Many of you are probably familiar with the Credit Managers Index. We've been talking about it on this show for several years now, I think. Yeah. Um, so in case there's newbies out there, what the Credit Managers Index is modeled on is something else you guys talk about a lot, which is the Purchasing Managers Index. Right. Um, a number of years ago, the credit managers were sitting around a bar as is their habit, and they wanted to know why purchasing managers were famous and they weren't. Um, they both have offices in the basement of the building. Um, both of them tend to be ignored by the higher ups. So how come the PMI existed and the CMI didn't? So they decided to rectify that and create their version of an index. And it's modeled very similarly to the PMI. So if you're familiar with the PMI, you know that anything over 50 is considered expansion, anything under 50 is considered contraction. It's a month to month index, so it compares current months to the previous month, it's, and then you can look back as far as you want to. Like the PMI, the, the power of these surveys is that the people who are being asked the questions don't know enough to lie. Usually, when you're talking to C-levels about surveys, they fudge it. They're always trying to manipulate the data and make it look better, and they're not really being honest. But you go to a purchasing manager and you say, are you buying more or less steel? The purchasing manager says, more? How come? I don't know. I don't even know what we make. Um, <laughs> they were, were, They told me to buy some more steel and write a toilet paper. What do you want from me? They just give you the right answer. They just give you data. So you go to a credit manager and you say, are you seeing more or fewer accounts out for collection? More, how come? Because they're not paying us. Um, you do know how this works, don't you? Um, I don't know why they're not paying us. Maybe they're jerks. Maybe we're jerks. I don't know. I just know if they keep it up, I'm going to call Guido. So you get, again, very good data, which is accurate months to months. The last several months, the credit managers index has been trending in a very positive direction. Anything over 50 is good. We're seeing numbers in the 60s, even into the 70s when it comes to sale. The last month it dipped slightly, but only from very high level. So you were still in the 70s and 60s, not just quite as high. We divide it into two categories, favorable and unfavorable. And these are from the perspective of a credit manager. So favorables are, of course, dollar collections, sales, applications for credit, and amount of credit extended. All of those are in the upper 60s to mid 60s. The unfavorables are things like 
bankruptcies and accounts out for collection and disputes and slow pays and rejections of credit apps, all of those are over 50, not as high. There are, some of them are just barely into the 50s. I mean, 50.9 and 51, but at least, you know, they're up there and they've been there for six months now. So the rough conclusion from all this, one last point to make about credit managers, they think in the future, they are trying to determine what kind of terms you're going to get when you want to buy a machine or buy inventory. So they're deciding, do I trust you? If I don't, it's cash on delivery, buddy. Um, I'm not gonna give you anything because I don't know you. If I know you, okay, you can have 90, 120, 180 day terms. When they're confident today, they're really saying they're confident for three to six months from now. Because that's when they get paid. And their mantra to the sales department has always been, it's not a sale until we're paid. Well, that's the accounting office's uh, sign that they have up. We have it up in our office. Also. Exactly. Uh, yeah. My, my concern is you don't get paid unless you get a sale. True, true. <laughs> it's funny how those work in tandem. Um, so. yes, yes, they do. Yeah. So let, let's go over a couple of your uh, strong points here, and uh, let's talk about uh, uh, one of the things that I'll give you time to think about it is about headwinds right. uh, down down the road a piece. So yeah. give us some insight. I, I, I'm seeing that uh, dispute issues have uh, uh, are about the same uh, uh -huh. has been for a, a while, which you uh, just stated. Uh, what's uh, what's the good and the bad and the ugly of this report? Yeah, I mean, it's the same that you're seeing in the economy as a whole. I mean, there's the old adage of be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. Yeah. Well, we're now growing and we're growing at an incredibly rapid rate and that creates inflation. So we're now dealing more with inflation issues than we ever thought we would. A lot of the last couple of years has taken pretty much everybody by surprise. We obviously were shocked last year because we weren't prepared for pandemic lockdowns, but now we weren't prepared for the speed at which the consumer has come out of this. Um, they are really responding to the lowering of the lockdowns and the opportunity to get out there and do stuff and the suppliers weren't prepared. So whether it's steel, copper, lumber, oil, you name it. I mean, I was looking at the list of things that they're in short supply and it's including things like sunscreen. There is a shortage of sunscreen. Um, suddenly we're all running outside. There is a shortage of all kinds of bizarre foods. Um, it's like we've just overrun the supply that was in place. And that is probably the biggest threat the credit managers are picking it up just in terms of kind of their caution around applications. They're a little bit less enthusiastic about applications from companies that are highly sensitive to all of this change. Um, they know that you still have fairly rugged days ahead for the hospitality sector for the travel sector, and it's not because of demand, but for example, hotels can't get people to go back to work, so they can't reopen. Even though there's a demand, they're 
there's half a dozen hotels around Miami that have not been able to reopen because there's not enough people to staff them. So those things are trickling through in into the credit managers index. It's not an emergency situation yet, but it's a concern. Um, and if there's one overarching piece of good news, it's that bankruptcies are way down. And that's a signal that most of the damage has already been done. If you were in trouble, you went out of business last year. Um, we're now dealing with the survivors. And frankly, coming out of a recession, if you survive it, you're going to grow because you suddenly begin to pick up the market share of those that didn't survive it. So getting through a recession is, yay, you made it, but also double yay, you're now going to grow faster. Well, considering, take, for example, the restaurant uh, and entertainment mm -hmm. industry, uh, the, the number that I recently uh, saw was that 85,000 <clears> restaurants in this country have closed. Right. Um, I don't know what number of them have come back. I'm sure it's not a, it's not a big number in relation to 85,000. But all of these people uh, who have uh, working in restaurants and so on, they're collecting their uh, you know, full uh, unemployment benefits, uh, which is not like collecting a boatload of money on tips, but it's certainly enough for those who um, want to take a break and right. not work for a while. And that's been going on. However, uh, my understanding is that there are now 20 states uh, that have ceased paying mm -hmm. uh, unemployment. Uh, so I think within the next month or two, uh, you're going to see a whole new raft of people looking for jobs. Restaurants will be a problem because they've gone out of business, but maybe other ones will open up and start again. Yeah, that's the cycle that you normally see because we know that even for those states that have not withdrawn from the program, it all expires on Labor Day anyway. So you're looking at, at three more months at the most. And what we've also discovered is it's it's fairly selective. You look at the restaurants that have closed, the ones that closed were in the middle. Um, the upper end restaurants stayed in business and the lower end restaurants stayed in business because the lower end basically transitioned to carry out. And people, the fact is that 99.9% .9 of the United States population has no idea where their stove is or how it works. Um, so they, they have to go get food from somewhere. But it was the middle range restaurants that were in trouble. Those are mostly chains. And the prediction is that a lot of them will reconstitute because different financial backing and the like. But she definitely hit... The critical point for the summer is that this is the time of year where you get a lot of part-time work and summer work and all that kind of stuff. Well, the labor pool is not is not there. And a lot of organizations, companies are struggling with how to open, particularly when the demand is so high. I mean, it's it's even Disney World is short workers. Um, so it's one of the things that never happens. Everybody wants to be part of Disney World, but not when you can sit on your couch and collect $300. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, interesting in, on the manufacturing side, 
um, they still don't have enough workers. They didn't right. have enough workers before COVID. Uh, and when you get numbers like uh, the last uh, employment number for uh, May was 23,000 mm-hmm. new manufacturing jobs. Uh, that's a small number when you're about 3 million behind. Exactly. And the challenge for manufacturing has always been very different because it's not a new phenomenon, as you point out. This labor shortage has been going on for a long time. And and it's predominantly because manufacturing has changed. Instead of just taking somebody who can fog a mirror and figuring out what to do with them on the factory floor, we are now hiring people with skills. And we've done a miserable job of providing that skill pipeline. Now, the schools have not been able to keep up. I mean, the trade schools try, but I mean, a good example of the challenge, I do some work with Fox Valley Technical School up in Wisconsin, and the welding program they have is very well regarded. And when it starts every term, the local manufacturers show up on the first day and hire every student (laughs) on the spot. They haven't even completed the program. They're hired before they even start. And so the question is, well, how come you don't have more kids in the program? And they said, you know, teaching somebody to weld is not a lecture. It is not packing a lecture hall with 700 people. You have to have a welding bay. We have 36 of them. We can train 36 at a time. Um, if the powers that be in Wisconsin would quit putting money with the University of Wisconsin to graduate people with degrees in underwater basket weaving, we could have more welding bays. Um, but that's the challenge. You know, last year, no joke, we graduated 9,000 people with advanced degrees in film criticism. Yeah, so, I heard about that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that could be a new addition to Manufacturing Talk Radio, a little film review, you know, just pointing out the manufacturing scenes in all the movies, you know. So. Right, right. Well, one of the problems that, uh, you know, we've discussed before, that, that there's, there, there is a solution with regards to manufacturing employment. It, it, it's a little time-consuming, but it's a strong investment, and that is that we need to address the uh, uh, immigration issue. Right. Bring the people in. If they don't speak English, put them into a training course to speak English, number one. And if they don't have a trade, put them into a trade school and let's start turning out skilled manufacturing workers. This country, you know, I think the biggest deterrent in this country uh, uh, to put kids into manufacturing are the parents. Right. You know, You're absolutely right. I mean, they don't it, want their kids to earn seventy-five thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. They'd rather have them come out of college and earn forty thousand or forty-five thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that we're noting about the immigration is where it's coming from, because we have a tendency to think that it's all from Latin America, and we focus on the challenge at the border. But where the manufacturers are finding the richest source of recruits is Africa and South Asia. Africa committed some 20 years ago to heavy education investment. And the problem they ran into was that you could educate people, but now you don't have anything for them to do. So we've already seen it in the medical sector. Um, We have a great many foreign doctors in the US because A, we needed them. 
B, they were highly trained, and C, there was nothing for them to do in their home country. So we're seeing a lot of trained people coming from Africa, coming from South Asia, and interestingly enough, mostly English speaking, because we're talking countries in Africa that were part of the British colonial system, they speak English, you're talking about people from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, again, they speak English, and so the transition is relatively, yeah, it's relatively smooth, and, and you're going to see a lot more of that, less than you're going to see um, sort of immigration from Latin America. The majority of the people trying to come in illegally now aren't skilled, and we don't have much we can do with them at the moment, but the guy that learned how to operate a press break in Nigeria, come on in. Well, there's an issue with that also. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact that China has uh, made huge investments into the uh, training and employment of uh, African workers. Exactly. So, you know, they're just acting a couple of steps smarter than we are. Exactly. And we have to take advantage of, of missteps of other countries. The African countries in general refer to China as the new colonialists, and, mm -hmm. and they don't like the way China does business. Most of the workers that end up moving to China, even temporarily, don't like it. Um, they, particularly the Africans, are quite blunt and they come back and say, whether you're aware of it or not, China is an intensely racist country and does not like us, does not trust us. And when the polls were taken in Nigeria, 90% said if you were given a choice of taking a job in the US or China, almost 100% said US. Right. That's because we're so good. Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're, it's kind of like, Okay, you guys aren't perfect either, but you know, um, I'd rather have you than than the Chinese. <laughs> so. Correct. Correct. So, what do you what do you see coming down the road? Uh, you know, by the end of the year, I think we are probably going to see this growth continue to barrel along through the summer into the fall. The big question now is we know that consumers are spending aggressively on services. Are they going to turn the retail year into a good one as well? Initial indications are that they are planning to, that a lot of them are going to be traveling again, et cetera. If we have a good solid retail year, it's going to carry that growth all the way through 2021 might start to get a bit of a dip in 2022 because you always do in the first quarter people right. kind of overwhelm themselves trying to keep up with christmas and they take a breather so if we follow past patterns we'll get a good end to this year a little bit of a breather in 2022 but even with that it will still be higher than we were in 2019. So I think we've we've seen that recovery from a B recession, and we're going to be able to ride that for a while. 2022 will begin to be the first year in three years that we can start to call it normal um, and say, okay, phew, we can go back to our old habits, whatever those happen to be. Um, with the uh advent of new businesses opening up after COVID. Do you feel as though that the credit managers are going to have their hands full with new companies and no credit and uh, 
uh, bad debt and disputes and so on and so forth? Is that yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge, and they're trying to gear up for it now because the, the world of a credit manager is it's like 85% routine and 15% panic because most of the requests are very easy. You've got somebody with very good credit who wants a certain amount of, of traction for 90-day terms or whatever, and all the algorithms are perfect and there's no problem. But then you get that 15% that is a little bit challenging. They're the really good customer that's on a bit of a rocky road. And you're like, well, technically, I probably shouldn't be giving them terms, but we've been doing business with them for 20 years. I don't want to abandon them. And then you've got the brand new businesses that look good, but are in a new business in the area. And you're like, well, I don't, you don't have a track record. I don't know quite how to evaluate you. So the credit managers spend a great deal of time talking to each other saying, okay, I've never worked with this guy before. Has anybody else? And you start to get this credit manager meetings are fascinating because it's a group of people, mostly overwhelmingly middle-aged women who are trying to figure out who gets credit. Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of alternate as far as personality is concerned. They go from Aunt B from Mayberry, the sweetest little lady you've ever met, to your third grade teacher that terrorized you with a ruler. I mean, it's like if, if you're if you're caught up, they're as nice as can be. If you're not, it's like, don't turn your back on me <laughs> or you will regret it. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting world. I've seen entire companies go out of business at a credit manager's meeting when all of the suppliers are like, nope, we're not gonna sell to them. Yeah. And the very next day, they declare bankruptcy. <laughs> it's so uh, it, it can get interesting. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been an incredibly interesting year and a half for sure. Uh, I think uh, our our gas bills, for example, right, right, right. I'm paying three sixty a gallon for regular. Yeah, and I'm in New Jersey. I don't know what is what is down in Florida. Well, you know, in Florida, it's about as bad. I'm kind of in the middle of oil country in Kansas, and we're paying about 270, maybe 260 uh, on average. But, you know, not seven months ago, it was a buck 70. Um, so it's definitely come up. But there's a classic example of a commodity that is highly sensitive because it's the classic inelastic good. We just use what we use. We don't use less when it gets expensive because we still have to go where we have to go. We don't use more when it becomes cheaper. You know, we don't suddenly decide to drive 100 miles out of our way because the gas is cheap. And the producers are right now right about where they like to be because at 70 to 80 bucks a barrel, they are not going to be threatened by these marginal producers. The big guys, OPEC and Russia and Canada and us, we hate it when the prices get so high that you start getting competition from Guinea-Bissau and Chad and Ecuador and you know some godforsaken country you've never heard of because it gets, profitable for them to produce oil. They want to keep the prices at least at the point where those guys can't play. 
and that's right about 80, 70 to 80 bucks a barrel. So I don't think they're going to go a lot higher depending on things like hurricanes and cyber attacks on pipelines and things like that. One of the interesting things about the uh, uh, oil prices, um, my primary business is uh, All Metals and Forge Group, and we supply forged parts for mm -hmm. many different industries, one of which is oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And when the oil price gets to $60 plus, mm -hmm. we're going to do some really nice business. When it gets to $70, $80 a barrel, we're doing like really smoking hot. Yeah. Is that we're we're supplying all the replacement parts, the maintenance mm -hmm. parts, and so on. So seventy, eighty dollars a, uh, a barrel is really a sweet spot. Oh, exactly. And there's an awful lot of industries that are like that. People sure. people forget about the feeder industries that go into these sectors. I mean, we think about oil, we think about steel and copper and the like, but it's like, what's it used for and who benefits from that? Because the same thing is happening with steel companies that provide pipeline. Um, it's pipeline is suddenly in high demand and oil companies wait for these periods before they do that kind of maintenance and expansion. Um, the pipeline demand suddenly surged as people were reminded how vulnerable we are when the colonial was attacked. And everyone is like, well, you know, what other pipelines are, are victimized by this? And so it's, it's, a, it's a sector that feeds a lot of other sectors. And then of course, on the downside, when oil prices go up, it affects what people do as far as buying cars. And if they stay high for a long period of time, you start getting people going towards the smaller fuel sippers. That hasn't happened yet. It may take a while. The break-even point for people to start getting rid of their trucks and SUVs usually is around four bucks a gallon. Um, and then people start thinking about it. So, but it depends on the part of the country you're in. As I mentioned, I'm in Kansas. And even when the prices were very high, if you bought a Prius, you just put it in the back of your truck as a spare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never thought of that. Uh, Chris, as we wrap up this segment, uh, if you have any parting comments uh, before we uh, bid you adieu. Uh, you know, I think the only real parting comment is that the, the ride has been delightful so far. I think we can ride it for the next several months then things will begin to be normal. So the good news is that means that inflation will maybe ease. The bad news is we're not gonna see some of the demand that has been so much fun to deal with this year. Um, as I mentioned, I think 2022 is the year that begins to feel normal. Um, if we can even remember what normal is anymore, uh, so. Well, it will be a mid-year election. Yeah, it, exactly. So I don't know how it's gonna be normal. <laughs> Unless exactly. that is the normal. Exactly. If only we could figure out a way to, you know, take all the politicians and export them. I don't know if you get the price that you need. <laughs> That's probably true. And maybe we could pay people to take them. Um, so. And there's a thought. There's yeah. a thought. Chris, thank you very much. As usual, your uh, input and your statistics is uh, very valuable. And uh, I think that. Um, the credit managers uh, enjoy your humor and uh, uh, 
accounting folks uh, need to follow some of the ideas and comments that we've come up with. So very again, good. I want to thank you and we'll see you next month. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you very much, Lou. Well, folks, uh, that brings us to the end of uh, this segment. And I recommend if you found this to be interesting, stimulating, and somewhat humorous, uh, listen to our other podcast on Jacket Media Co. We have uh, WAM, Women and Manufacturing. We've got uh, uh, Cliff uh, Waldman, uh, Manufacturing Matters. We have Where's Willie? And uh, we have, um, uh, there's one other, and I always skip that one. So I'm gonna probably do that again today. Uh, I apologize for the, the, the host. And um, we will see you all at our next show. And, and uh, Chris, we're gonna see you next month. Appreciate Indeed. your time. Thanks. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.